morning. And uh, first off, I just want to apologize if I come off a little hoarse this morning. It's because I spent all day yesterday screaming at five and six-year-olds. And, uh, and yeah, they, they don't ever hear things the first time. And so you usually have to scream at them uh, four, five, six times. So, um, but, you know, I know these weekends, especially for you guys who have kids and then you have work and all these different things that are going on, you know, that... The weekends are busy and they're crammed, and I know that there's probably a lot of times as you're facing Sunday, you're like, man, I would like to do anything but get up right now, but I am so thankful that you are here, and I pray, my prayer for us is every moment that we spend in this cafeteria is not wasted, but we allow God to really speak to us through His Word and challenge us and and just really bring us to a place, even getting into the text this morning, that I hope that we can rally around the ideals and the principles and everything that God is instructing His people to do and to be, not only for the world around us, but for each other and for what God has for us this morning. And so, I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to continue in this series. You know, we've been several weeks. This will make week 12. We have a few more weeks, about three or four more weeks left of this series before we move on to something else. But man, I, I hope that you've seen the purpose and the reason behind going through the book of Ephesians. If you've really leaned into this and really paid attention, we've seen so much of what Paul is communicating about the foundation of the Christian faith and when, what we'll be getting into now. You know, the, the key word in the first three chapters is the word uh, is the word wealth okay the first three chapters the key word is the word wealth when Paul is trying to communicate to the believers there this is what you have in Jesus okay he is laying this groundwork for us as believers to be able to stand on to be able to walk and move in our life because as we get into the last four chapters the key word that you'll see communicated over and over again is the word walk and so the first word is wealth understanding what we have and then the second word is walk how we walk in response to that and so for us you know Paul wanted us to be very clear of something that Paul wanted what we believe to inform how we behave. What we believe to inform how we behave, because what we know about God should and could uh, inform and move and motivate the way that we live the life as a believer. For a Christian here this morning, that we have so much to live in, and that it's not our own confidence, as, we, as we've talked about, in our own abilities, but it's in the abilities and the confidence of Jesus Christ as we navigate our life. And, and that's what he wants us to understand this morning. But as we move into chapters 4, moving into chapter 6 at the end, we're going to see this theme of walking. Of walking, and um, you know, as we get into this morning, man, I, I love my kids so much, you know, and I'm not just like sucking up to them or anything. They haven't done anything, or I haven't done anything to try to make it up to them. But you know, I, I love my kids so much. I love when they're little uh, because they need me so much. You know, they they cuddle with me, they hold me, they 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 want to sit in my lap, they want me to take care of them, they want me to do things for them. I love that. I love that so much. Um, but what I would have to say that I am thankful for, especially having four of them, is that I celebrate the days when some of those things that I do for them, they start to do for themselves. You know, as you have kids, some of you guys with younger ones, that you'll, you know, it's so great and it's so cute to feed them, to bathe them, to clean them, to do all these things for them. But um, after several years, you're like, okay, now, especially when you have more, you're like, okay, you need to start doing for yourself. Like, let's start, let's start growing up just a little bit. Let's, let's move on just a little bit. Because I can tell you right now, I, I love, I love Sawyer. I love, I love you, Sawyer. I love Sawyer. But if Sawyer stayed Sawyer for the longevity of his lifetime, I would probably die young. 
Um, because, you know, if you have little kids, it's, it's taxing, right? Uh, the, what they need, uh, how you have to do for them, and what they can't contribute, right? Well, moving into chapter 4, we're going to see this theme of what Paul says. And if you have to subtitle this morning, his theme for us as the church is grow up. Is grow up. He's calling the church to not only grow up in how they're, how they're living, but also how they're contributing, how they're moving, how they're growing in their faith. He is telling them this, that they would move from a place of uh, from contributors instead of consumers. And, and because, they, I mean, we talk about our kids growing up, that's, they start to contribute a little bit, right? I, I'm th- I'll be thankful for the day when my kids can mow. You know, I'm thankful for the day when they started being able to dry themselves, dress themselves, brush their own teeth, feed themselves, those type of things. So they started contributing to the process rather than consuming from the process. And so what Paul is calling us as believers to do, he says, grow up for the sake of being contributors rather than consumers. Okay, and so this is what we're going to see. And and the biggest thing, the biggest, the overarching kind of lean of this morning is going to be this idea of unity and maturity and how those things play into each other for the functionality and the movement of the church for Jesus and to reach the people around us. That this is this is the most valuable and most important thing that we have to do and walk in. And this is this is Paul's declaration here in the beginning of chapter four. And this portion of scripture is that unity is held together by maturity and ministry. That unity is held together. The body of believers is held together by maturity and ministry. And so this morning we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, and, and I hope that, that, that you can lean into this with me and that we can see that everything that Paul is telling us is for the betterment, not only of us as a church body, but as for us as a church body, as we kind of lean into these things and grab hold of these things, we will more adequately reach the lost, dying, and needy around us. And this is where we have to find ourselves this morning. So Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 Uh, Chapter 4, I'm sorry, we're not starting over. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we're going to read this together and we're going to come back through and kind of talk about it a little bit. Starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather be speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way 
into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray, Father. I, I just pray that you speak to us this morning. God, open our hearts and minds to hear from you. God, speak through my words. God, reveal to us what your word has for us. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, the first thing this morning is that unity starts with my relationships. Unity starts with my relationships. And so I want you to not only look at this maybe as your relationships with individuals within the church, even relationships with people outside of the church, and even your relationship maybe with your spouse. If you're married, your relationship with your spouse this morning. And the first thing we see in verses 1, and that our unity starts in my relationships. He says here in verse 1, uh, it says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. And he gives us a way that we walk in those relationships that contributes to unity. He says, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, with bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so he lays out these things before us. First off, that we walk in a manner worthy of a calling. So there is a walk that is worthy and there is a walk that is not worthy in contributing to unity and maturity in the church. And so he's calling us as believers, walk in that calling. Colossians 1.10 uh, says this, it says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There is a pattern at which the church is effective and moves and is motivated. And He calls us as individuals to walk in that manner. To walk in that manner that is worthy of that calling. He's, he's, he's kind of bringing it down to a micro level, looking at the individuals as we kind of move out from there to see how the church functions in that. But he calls us, he says, to walk in this way. And he lays out this way for us so that if we need to know how we function in our relationships with each other, how I function in my relationship to my wife, how I function in my relationship to people outside of this fold, this is what he says. He says, this is the way to walk. The first thing he says is humility. Some translations may say lowliness. Okay, and we've talked about this over and over and over again, is that humility is the opposite of pride, and pride is the enemy of maturity. Pride is the enemy of our growth. Pride is the enemy of ministry. Pride is the thing that destroys people. And so Paul, he just starts out there. The way that you contribute to unity and maturity is in humility or lowliness. Okay, lowliness. And this is not holding ourselves above anyone else. This is not thinking, and this idea, uh, I think Tim Keller said, he said, it's not thinking less of myself, but it's of thinking about myself less. Okay, thinking about myself less, elevating others, not elevating myself as more important or more valuable than any human being made in the image of God next to me. That he says that the first step, the first walk is humility. The second thing he says is gentleness. And this is also can be translated meekness that we've talked about. Remember, power under control. Power under control. And he says uh, and then, that this is kind of the idea that I read, is that it's kind of the idea of a soothing medicine. Okay, or a soft wind. That these things have the ability to be very strong and very damaging, but it's the form at which isn't. Okay, winds can be up to 100 miles an hour or they can be down to, to one mile an hour. I mean, they, 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 they have the ability to be strong and destroy 
But there's a characteristic of it that's not. And that's what God calls us to as people, as Christians, as we deal with people in our life. Like I said, whether it's outside of the church, inside the church, or even as simple as our relationship with our spouses and our kids, that it's in this state, this place of gentleness or meekness. Where, yeah, maybe I have the ability to yell out and to just throw somebody under the bus because of something that they've done or said or, or they've, they've not followed some kind of instructions. But it's that it's pulling back the reins, not allowing power to rule, not having heavy hands against someone, even if we have every right to. And then the next one he says is bearing uh, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And I think this is one of the more difficult ones, because another way this could be said is enduring in love. And another way this could be said is being long-tempered, the ability to endure discomfort without fighting. And this idea of not giving up on each other, enduring. You know, like I said, the outside, the inside, or just your relationship to your spouse, not giving up, enduring in love. Gentleness, I mean, in enduring with love, uh, uh, long temper, just, just making space for grace in our life. Making, a, a, making ability for mistakes to be made and to still hold on. And I love that as he moves from that to this idea of not giving up. Then not only is it not giving up, but then the next thing he says is that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And this idea of eager to maintain, we have to understand that he says that we're eager to maintain, that it's not something, first off, being eager to maintain, it means that we're actively choosing to maintain something. That we're actively choosing to participate in these things. That these things don't come natural to me. That gentleness, meekness, lowliness, humility, our fleshly nature are not those things. We want to elevate ourselves to a level higher than other people. We want to be harsh and difficult to people when we feel like that they deserve it. And we want to give up on people. That's easier for us to do than to endure. It's easier for us to be harsh than to be gentle. And it's easier for us to be prideful than it is to be humble. And so he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And so what we can also see is that, that this unity that we are talking about here, it's not something that we create. He says, you're maintaining unity. We have to understand that the unity that we have is not a unity that we've created. The unity we have is a unity that God has given us. The, the unity we have is only a unity that can be accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so he's not calling us to create unity. He's calling us to maintain unity that he has established. To actively, purposefully, intentionally maintain unity. Seek unity, being eager to purposefully intentionally, that we are united in Christ. And the element of that eager maintenance, he says there, is the, this bond of peace. This bond of peace. And I think this is an important place for us as individuals that we have to see that if we're not at peace with God within ourselves, we will never be able to be at peace with others around us. You know, I read this quote this week that said, 
The reason for war on the outside is war on the inside. The reason for war on the outside is because there is war on the inside. I am not at peace. And so he calls us to this eager maintenance of, of, of this unity and that the element, the key element to contribute to these things is coming to this place of inner peace where we're at peace with God. We're at, we, we, I can't be at peace with anyone around me if me and God are constantly at war with each other. He calls us to this peace. If a believer cannot get along with God, he will never settle with others. This is where he's called us to. So not only unity starts in my relationships, but unity thrives in ministry. And remember, when I say ministry, I'm not necessarily talking about programs. God's called each and every one of us as believers to a ministry of reconciliation where we are actively participating in bringing the lost to Jesus. And so each and every one of us has ministry to do. If you are a Christian, call yourself a Christian, you have ministry to do. And so unity thrives in ministry. And Paul lays out how unity flourishes through our walking in step with his plan. Pick it up in verse 11, if you would, with me. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the church of Christ. And so the first thing we see is that he gave. Look, God gave church leadership for a reason. Because God sees value in the local body, the combined body. You only give leadership for something when there's something to be leaded over. And so first off, we have to understand the beauty and the, the element at which the local church functions to do the work of ministry. And so we see these two elements. We see apostles and prophets. And these things were more of the people laying foundational work. These aren't necessarily things that are at work right now because apostles were people, except for uh, Matthias who replaced Judas, but the, the people that interacted personally with Jesus. And so they laid the groundwork of teaching and showing signs through the, through the Holy Spirit of healings and all those things. We don't necessarily see that at work now. And even uh, prophets, we don't see that at work in the context in which they were prophetic, but we can still still be prophetic in the way that we communicate the revelation of God's word and what he's done. And so, but the really the focus here leaning into the last two words uh, that is shepherds and teachers. And this is really one thing where it's talking about pastors and elders, where it's talking about pastors and elders. And he says that these people, all these different functionalities, first he's showing us not only is there leadership structure and there's a foundational level and then the one that builds off of that with shepherds and teachers, but he's also, sh also showing us that we all play different roles and different functions in how the church ministers to the people around us. That the thing that I have to constantly remind myself of is that unity is not uniformity. That we don't all look the same to accomplish the same goal. That it all doesn't have to be put into this box to do the things that God's called us to do. Unity is not uniformity. And that he has said, he says here that he's given these shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, a lot of people, uh, when, when we look at church, and, and, and really shame on churches because they've built themselves this way in a lot of ways, but a lot of people look at churches as a pyramid with the pastor on top. Or they look at church as, as a, a school bus that is driven by the pastor that is driving passive passengers to a destination. When in reality... 
When in reality, what God wants is he wants his church to equip the saints. You are the saints to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is the job of pastors and elders in a church? The job of pastors and elders in a church is help you recognize what is within you to do the work. It is not my job to do the work for you. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, whenever Moses would go up to the mountain and he would get the revelation from God, he got the Ten Commandments and he came down to what the people were doing. The people were standing down waiting. Moses, what do you have to say for us? What did God say to you that you can tell us? When Jesus tells us now that we can come humbly and boldly before the throne of God ourselves, you don't have to wait for me to come before a holy God. You don't have to wait for me to engage with Jesus in what he has for you and the purpose and the mission that he has for you in your life through this church. He says to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, and a lot of times when people have settled into church, and I've even found this in my, my own problems and my own inabilities sometimes is when I'm sitting and I'm thinking, man, this just isn't doing it for me, or this, I'm just missing something, uh, or, or I'm not feeling like I'm, 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 I'm walking in the way I should walk or being filled in the way I should be filled. And, and this is the thing that we have to remember is that what the church isn't, do, isn't doing for you is usually a revelation of what you aren't doing for the church. What the church isn't doing for you is usually a revelation of what you're not doing for the church because I can't be everything. I can't be everything. You know, this faulty process that the best ideas for ministry will come from, 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 from me. But in reality, they're going to come from you. They're going to come from you because the beautiful thing about the idea that unity is not uniformity is each and every single one of us in this church are unique. Each and every single one of you has a perspective. Each and every single one of you has life experience. Each and every single one of you has gifts. Each and every single one of you in here has something to offer the body that I can offer. And I am dependent. We as a church are dependent on ourselves to do and to see the things that need to be done. To walk in the way that we need to walk. There's so much about you that's unique. And the church is the perfect context to use those unique abilities and to say the things that you see and the perspective that you have and the experience that you have to contribute to what God's got for us here at Crosspoint. You know, it, it is in this that the church thrives when individuals are using their gifts and abilities. That's when the church thrives, is when individuals are using their gifts and abilities. And we engage the mission of the church by actively using our gifts and our abilities to build up the church. When we are actively using what we have within us naturally for the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. To each person in here that calls himself or herself a believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And not only the church on a micro level, but the church on a macro level, the big, big C church. And for us, what we have to do is we have to stop making excuses. We have to stop making excuses. Maybe, maybe you say, well, I don't have the gifts or abilities to use. Well, the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that you've been given everything you need. Colossians 2.6, says, Therefore, as you received Christ, the Lord so walk in Him. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us. God has given you everything. 
If you haven't tapped into that yet, it's because you're holding yourself back. God has given each person that is a believer in here this morning the ability to do what he's called you to do. And maybe another excuse is, well, I like like my private time. I like my personal time. I like to do things on my own schedule. You know, and, and, and being a recovering selfaholic, I'm very selfish in this regard. I could easily isolate myself and keep myself from everybody, and I enjoy my private personal time. The reality that we have to see, and I love this, is that you like your personal time because the only person you like is yourself. And as Christians, you know, the Bible tells us that if we don't love our brothers and sisters, the love of God is not in us. He calls us to love people. That agape that we talked about, that purposeful, intentional love, to be concerned, to be looking outside of myself, that I have to like others besides myself. Because the thing is, if I'm not looking outside of myself, you know what I'm being reminded of constantly? is how messed up I am. How faulty I am because I am not that lovable. As much as I want to love myself, myself will not love myself because I see the unlovability of myself. And so for me, it's better to look outside of myself. And you know what? And and I understand, you know, as as pastor, teacher, leader, we, we have to make best use of your time. So I'm not saying that you come into things that we waste your time with. But I pray that your personal private time, that you would see beyond that to see the purpose in putting that time into someone else or into something else for the sake of the church, for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the growth of people around you. And it's in this manner that the church functions as more of an invitation than an exclusion. Because what we have to be able to do as a church, and this is, this is going to be our task, this is going to be our challenge moving through 2019, 2020, uh, 2021, 2022, however long God sees fit to allow us to live, our challenge is going to be functioning in a capacity that offers people something that the world doesn't. If we can't offer people something more than what the world offers them, then we will miss out. And I'm not saying that, that we make this a big show or any big entertainment complex or anything like that. I'm saying that, you know what, they can go out into the world and they can find a level of acceptance. They can go out into the world, they can find a level of purpose. They can go out into the world and they can find a level of love. But what we have to show them in our unity is that there is a level of love and purpose and value and compassion that far outweighs anything that the world can offer them. And remember, we saw this back in Ephesians 3, where he says that the the mystery of the hidden ages of God, uh, who created all things so that the church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. We are responsible for making that known to the people around us. That we walking in that unity is an invitation but when we walk in disunity, when we walk opposite of these ways that Paul laid out in the beginning, we exclude people. We push people away to other lesser things. And so for us as a church, we have to offer them something more than the world is doing for them. And it's a place of true value. It's a place of true worth. It's a place of true purpose, eternal purpose, a hope beyond all things. A hope that will never rust or fade away. That hope, a hope that doesn't let me go when I disappoint, a hope that doesn't let me go when I sin, a hope that doesn't let me go, doesn't push me away when I don't serve its purpose anymore because God tells me that my purpose is for eternity. 
God's got something far greater and better for us than anything this world has for us. And we, as the people, you as the saints, the minist- doing the work of ministry, should be the ones sharing that, making that known in the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we love, the way that we function from a day-to-day basis. I, lo- I love, as busy as ball season is, I love ball season because we just get to interact with so many people that we don't normally get to interact with. And so, church, I pray that if you're in those elements, you take those opportunities to engage with people, that you take those opportunities to love on people, lean into their life, see where they're at, see what they're going through. Be a present body in that moment for people. So unity thrives in ministry. And the last thing, and then we'll be done, that in our ministry, we find maturity. In our ministry, we find maturity, that we need to do more than just show up. We need to grow up. We've got to grow up as Christians because our maturity is the binding that holds our unity together. Continuing on in verse 13 through 16, he says, Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ministry is our strong, active step towards maturity so that we can walk in consistency. God is calling us to walk in consistency as believers. You know, and this keeps us, if we can be moving in this place of ministry that leads us to maturity, what it's going to do to us is it's going to allow us to have a right perspective of what God's doing in my life, what God's doing in my church, what God's doing in my community. Because what it does is maturity combats this grass is greener mentality. You know, and I heard this said, you know, a lot of times when we walk through life, whether it's in church, in our family, in our marriages, in our relationship, that our fleshly nature is always looking for what's next. What's better? That's what culture tells you. What's better? What makes you more happy? What makes you more satisfied? What, what could do more? What could do more? What could do more? This grass is greener mentality. And I heard somebody say one time, it said, you know, the thing about the grass is greener mentality is that grass on the other side still needs to be watered. That it's still going to take work. That it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. It's still to make it to, and, and to not break is going to take work. And so when we can walk in consistency and maturity, then, then we can combat this idea of grass is greener. And, and, and we can lean into, you know, this text is specifically speaking about doctrinal type things. Things that take us away from the truth about God. And there is tons of that out there. But also even thinking about the way the enemy attacks us. Like I said you know, as the, as the enemy leans into our marriages and he tells either spouse, like, hey, you can do better than this to be happy. This life situation, the enemy leans in and says, hey, there's a better life situation for you. There's a better family. There's a better job. There's a better place. There's a better church. That the enemy leans into our ear and he tells us there is greener grass. There is greener grass out there. And so he begins to break us down. And so I also believe Paul is speaking to this consistency that is because of our maturity. Because inconsistency is a byproduct of our immaturity. 
when we don't know what we believe or why we believe it or we're not confident in what we believe and why we believe it, we're going to be drawn to whatever has a great aroma, whatever sounds great. That is the very essence that destroys marriages. It's the very essence, the essence that destroys churches. The very essence that destroys people is this idea that I deserve better. I can have better. There is something better for me. You know, and this word, uh, when it talks about being tossed to and fro, is the same language used in Luke 8, 24, when, the, storm, when the, the, the apostles were on the boat and the storm came and Jesus was sleeping. Their, their lack of faith in the, the provision of Jesus led them to fear. It led them to panic. You know, for us, when we're not confident in, our, in, in God's faithfulness and His provision, when the storm comes, we panic. And we get tossed we get tossed around by the struggle. We get tossed around by the winds that come against us. You know, and for us, maybe you're a parent here this morning, this pattern of immaturity will affect our children because they're looking to you. You know, we, we all, I believe all of our desires to raise our kids up in a, in a good, godly way, to show them uh, the way that it looks to walk and talk as a believer and, and trust in Jesus. But listen, uh, parents, if you're not walking in that way, your kids will not walk in that way. Don't expect them to. You are the example. You are, are the vision that they see that communicates what it looks like to be a Christian in this world. So don't expect don't expect uh, uh, this, this spiritual maturity to grow in them if you yourself are not walking in that spiritual maturity. Because what that is, is that is the very essence of hypocritical, and your children will see that because it won't make sense. You're telling me this, and we're seeing this and hearing this, but you're not walking in that way. Church, He has called us to walk in maturity, to be an example of maturity, because your kid, even as a parent, your kid's spiritual traje trajectory will be set by your pattern of spiritual maturity. And so, maybe you ask yourself this morning, why does it matter? Why, why does unity matter in the church? Why does maturity for me as an individual and as for us as a church, why does it even matter? Unity is held together by maturity. Maturity leads to the, a flourishing ministry and a flourishing ministry meets needs and leads people to Jesus. That's what we want to do. That's the only reason we get together in this place. And that's the only reason I believe that you even gave us a second in this place this morning. Is that that's deep down what you want to see. You want to see the needs of people met. And you want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. I believe that's what you want. And if it's not what you want, then... As, as if you're a Christian this morning, then you're wasting your time. We're spinning our wheels if we don't want to see things happen. And I believe with all my heart that things can, like that can happen from this group of people. The people that are right outside of our reach, the people that are even beyond that, I believe that we can reach people. But it's dependent on every part of the body functioning properly. You know, if, if, if my elbow itches, obviously the, the, brain, the head, the brain is going to tell my hand to itch my elbow. But if my hand's not there or my hand's not functioning properly, 
that I'm going to have to deal with that itch. I'm going to have to deal with that, that discomfort. You know, for us as the body, as the church, as, a, as it said, is equipped and as the body of the church, if we aren't present and functioning in the capacity that God's gifted us to, then there are going to be people around us and there's going to be parts of this that we are going to miss, that there are itches that won't be scratched. Listen, because of your unique perspective and your unique, unique gifts and your unique abilities and your unique uh, uh, things that you can do, when you're not walking in those things, someone is missing being blessed by that. Some part is not functioning properly. And this isn't meant to shame you uh, or guilt you into anything. I, I don't want that. Believe, believe you me, if, if anybody who's talked to me enough, I never want anybody to do anything out of guilt or shame. I want you to do it because you want to. That's why Paul started talking about doctrine. That's why he started talking about doctrine before he got to duty. Because he wanted them to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for them before he started talking about what they should be doing. You know, and most of us have come from churches where they tell you, do, 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 regardless of whether you understand. I'm not telling you that this morning. I want you to know. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know what he's done for us. And I want that to inform your duty. I want that to define our behavior. God gives us the opportunity to actively participate in his mission with people, loving them, providing for them, and participating in life for them. God has placed a ministry around you. We have kids. We have others. We have people in your, in your immediate reach that need your ministry, you. They don't need my ministry. They don't need what I can offer them. They need what you can offer them. They need what you can do in their life. They need the things that you say. They need your experience. They need your perspective. And if I could summarize what I hope that our vision will be and is just ministering to our community is that we would be seeking God, seek God passionately and love people intentionally. That we choose to love people regardless of where they are, of what they've done. We choose to love them and we seek God just with every bit of passion that we have in us. The same type of passion that we, we approach things that we're, we, we love and things that we see value in and we see worth and purpose in. That we would seek God passionately and love people intentionally. And so how does this happen? How, how, maybe how do you function in your life in this capacity? And Landon, you can go ahead and come up and, and we'll, we'll be wrapping up here in just a few seconds. But how does this happen? And so I, I just want you to ask yourself three questions this morning to help figure out how you function within this body. Like how, how do you use what you have? The first question is what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? You know, what just drives you? What motivates you just in everyday life? And I'm not saying don't over-spiritualize it. I'm saying look at your life and the things that you do really well or that you just love to do or that just really get you going. What are you passionate about? The second question I want you to ask yourself is what are you gifted in? Like what do you do well? Not only are what you're passionate about, but what do you do in your life? Maybe do you even think about the way that you work, like the job that you hold and the things that you do. Like what do you do well? What are you gifted in? What abilities do you have? The third thing, so the first thing is what are you passionate about? What are you gifted in? And the third thing is what do others affirm in you? What do others tell you? Hey, you're pretty good at that. Hey, you do a good job at that. Hey, I'm really glad you did that. That did something for me. 
You know, and so that's why it's important that we're encouraging each other and reaching into each other's lives. If we're not affirming people's gifts, then we need to start doing that. That if you see somebody doing a good job with something within the church, you need to say, hey, you're doing a really good job. Are you really good at that? Like, be that affirmation for people. Be that encouragement because it may be them answering this question that way that encourages them to step into the ministry that God's called them specifically to. So what are you passionate about? What are you gifted in? And what do others affirm in you? What do others affirm in you? And all of this being linked to Christ, who is the head, who empowers all of that, who empowers all that. Colossians 2, 19, the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Church, that's what I want for us. I want us to walk in unity, that we are engaging each other in these ways that he talked about in the beginning in humbleness and gentleness and patience and long suffering with each other. That we would walk, my challenge also for you is that we would walk in ministry, that you would see how can you serve not only in the context of this local community in our local gathering, but also how you serve just people around you, how you are acting as a minister to those people around you. And the third thing, that you would walk in maturity that you would be seeking the knowledge of God, that you would be seeking to grow and contribute and not consume, but you would see how God can use you in this context. This morning. I think you're right, Mav. We'll pray. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you. God, that in every step we take, whether it's in the unity of these people in this room, God, whether it's in ministering to the people around us, or God, maybe it's even in, in maturing, God, to be consistent in my walk with you. God, I'm thankful that all of those things are not powered by my own will. God, that you have called me to an active part of that. God, but the sustaining power that motivates me to unity, to ministry, and to maturity is you. But God, I am thankful that you saw fit to die on a cross for me. God, I am thankful that in the midst of my dirtiness and my filthiness and my sin, God, that you saw fit to use us, God, your church, to declare the manifold wisdom of God. God, you chose to use broken people to do amazing things, God, and I'm so thankful for that, God, and I pray this morning for the individuals that are stepping, that are standing right outside of their ministry, God, I pray that you would empower them, give them the courage and strength that is to start to ask the questions that lead them to walking in the ministry that you have for them. God, to be ministering to people in their life, to be ministering to people in this church, to be ministering in the way that you've called them specifically to. God, I pray for our church. God, I pray that you would bless it. God, I pray that you would just direct us and lead us in every way that you have for us. God, I just, I thank you for these mornings. I pray that we would not, uh, Lord, Lord, allow these, these moments to go wasted, but that, Lord, we would carry them through our weeks with us. God, that we would actively be participating in the things that you've called us to this morning. God, and if there's one here this morning that is not knit to you, that is not knit to the head of that body, Lord, that has not put their faith in you, Lord, I pray this morning they do that. God, and then I pray this morning that we celebrate that.
God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for these saints that you've gathered here, that you're preparing for the work of the ministry that you have to change the lives of individuals into Quincy, Louisiana through Crosspoint Community Church. God, we are so humbled. God, that we're not worthy. God, we thank you for that invitation. Lord, I just pray you continue to challenge us, move us, and be with us. I pray your blessing over these people and everything they do and say. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In holy Jesus' name.